So what we're going to be discussing today is a little bit about how this industry and where it's come in terms of salmonella control and the amount of work we still have to do and a lot of the interventions and costs with those solutions. So let me just introduce to you our speakers today. So I have this on my phone because I can't remember all the extensive experience that they have. But first we have Matt Oldnall. He uh, has his MSc in poultry uh, from Harvard Adams University. He spent time with various companies such as um, Moy Park, Cape Stone, and Massey uh, Feeds, where he has extensive experience really in uh, the feed mill and feed production. Uh, he now serves as our technical specialist for the EMEA region. So we'll, there's Matt. And then Dr. Enrique Montiel. So uh, he has his, oops, I'm pretty loud. <laughs> he has his DVM from uh, the Universidad del Zulia in Venezuela. Um, he also has his master's in poultry pathology from the University of Delaware and uh, his PhD in broilers and breeders in the from the University of Georgia. Um, he has uh, 30 years uh, of experience in the industry, mostly with Banner Engelheim, uh, where he really served as um, the worldwide lead for veterinary services. He's also a member of the American College of Poultry Veterinarians, and he now serves as Anatox's uh, global director of nutrition and live production. So with all that, maybe we have a little bit of time now to present, so it's all yours, guys. Well, thank you everybody for taking time to come uh, to this workshop. Um, as the uh, speaker, some of the speakers said this morning, uh, we have to deal with a lot of uh, perceptions from uh, the public to the animal production industry to use animal proteins and all that. Uh, one of those ghosts is salmonella. Uh, that's one of the, the perceptions. Uh, I just say a little story of a customer of ours that is a, a poultry producer, and in her free time, she went to a cooking lessons. The guy seasoned uh, chicken and said, the seasoning is ready, but don't taste it now that it's raw because you get salmonella. She stood up and left in protest, but then she thought, well, maybe partially right, maybe partially wrong, maybe, and this is where we are, and I'm not trying to make here a class of salmonella, I'm trying to bring this to the practical world. Uh, salmonella is one of the issues we have uh, from the animal producing industry to the general public. Uh, part is true, part is not, but we're here for the truth and see what we do about it. So I'm going to do a little background, and then uh, I'll go to the practical side of what we do as interventions uh, for salmonella control. Uh, salmonella is tracked by all the main uh, public health organisms in developed countries. In the US is the CDC. Uh, in Europe is EFSA, and the European Union has several different uh, ways to track uh, salmonella. And uh, it continues to cause uh, human disease, uh, hospitalizations, and death in people. That, that's something that is published, is, is on the um, For the US side of the business, uh, in their tracking system, Salmonella again is part of it. There's four major initiatives to decrease human disease 
on pathogens that can come from the production industry. And those four are the toxin, uh, the Shiga toxin producing E. coli, uh, Campylobacter, Listeria, and of course Salmonella. For, for the status of Salmonella, these are the main culprits in, th in terms of serovars. There's no surprises here, I just wanted to mention it. Enteritis continues to be the, the first one, uh, and that is common to the US and to the European community as well. Uh, there's other serovars, and it's interesting that although Enteritis continues to be the top one, there's some evolution that I will mention in serotypes that are found later on. Uh, this is one of the big beliefs that salmonella comes from eggs. I mean, I hear that from the public, and you probably hear that too. Salmonella can come from eggs, but it can come from chickens. And more importantly, it can come to a number of different animal protein sources, not only chicken. This is an important thing. In the last several years, probably starting after 2012, 2013, there is a, a variant from Salmonella typhimurium that has rose in the in incidence. This has been described in Europe as well. It's interesting that uh, it's coming closer and closer to Enteritidis. This salmonella is called 4512i because uh, the real name is really long. But the long story short, this is a variant of salmonella typhimurium that is very well known uh, worldwide. This is the situation in Europe, and these are the number of cases over time. Uh, the definition of the European community is that the situation is stabilized, but there's not really a decrease, which is, which is the hope, which is the aim of any controlled measurement. Again, the serovars or the serotypes found are pretty similar to what uh, the CDC reports in the US. Uh, this is again in Europe, the incidence uh, of the various serotypes. If we look at it, uh, I don't know how well you can see, but this is breeders, this is rollers, this is layers, this is humans. And uh, the red one is Salmonella enteritis. So the developed world has the, probably the same ranking in terms of the top one continues to be enteritis. Where, where would salmonella come from? Salmonella is um, normally, it, it can be a resident of intestines of animals or humans, and this is the, the first source in place. Through animal production and or through handling of feeds, uh, protein processing, feed processing, it can, it can occur a way of other different ways. It can go from an animal to human. It, it can come in water. It can come in food. In, in several, it's not only proteins. Other, it's not only animal products. Uh, uh, grains and vegetables uh, can also be contaminated with salmonella. And occasionally, it can also occur in, in the human-to-human -human contact. Uh, this is, I borrowed this from a paper because it's, it is a very nice depiction of how salmonella is widespread in the world. 
and how it can come in several different packages. And this is only referred to me. If we put all the list of materials with salmonella can come, it will go off the page. Uh, in the attribution of the sources, in practical terms and what can be tracked, and this is, this is a cumbersome uh, task, in, in the US, and this is available on the web, same for the European community, 20, 21% of the cases were attributable, uh, attributable to uh, poultry origin, to chicken, uh, poultry meat origin. Again, salmonella is part of a bigger picture in terms of human diseases. And right now, the USA has deployed an initiative to reduce the cases, and this was my second slide, uh, E. coli, salmonella, campylobacter, and listeria are the targets to decrease uh, in human cases, of human cases. There's right now a lot of harvesting and post-harvesting interventions. There's a lot of pre-harvesting interventions too. We'll talk about that. This is targeting most of the pre-harvesting interventions where all of us are involved. If we think of the route that, again, not only salmonella, but any pathogen can enter the production systems, there, there's several different ways that the infection can come. But normally, it will start in the source, which are the breeding stock for poultry, swine, or any species, and then it will cascade into, into the production system to go to the consumer, to the human consumer. There are several different things that can, or several different sources where this salmonella can come from. But one commonality is the feed and the raw materials because of several reasons. In a one shot, making one batch of feed, you can concentrate uh, several different countries and several different pathogens that when, when they're all ground and processing to feed, will, will, will kind of convey uh, problems of several different origins at one time. Uh, the, when we get salmonella into a production system, of course, we deal with infection or the potential infection of the finished product that is going to go into humans. Uh, however, these also, as it was discussed this morning, will have an impact every time there's a salmonella episode. There, there's a potential decrease in consumption of, of the product in question. For example, when the big outbreak happened in 2015 in the US, there was a decrease in the offer of eggs, of course, because a lot of birds were eliminated. But there was a sharp decrease in the consumption of eggs as well. So it's a matter, in very few instances, salmonella is a health problem for the chicken. But in many cases, it is a problem for humans. This is uh, another image uh, we borrow here. These are all the, the, the ways how salmonella can come. The diameter of the circle uh, depicts the weight that each of these uh, each of these elements has uh, to go into into poultry production. 
if you see some of the biggest ones are portals, very well-known rodents, insects, equipment, vehicles, feed, vectors like wild birds. And there's not a one single one that we can say is more important than the others, because any of them can cause a salmonella positive. So maintaining these programs is, is, a, is an everyday uh, job, but it's an important, it's a multifactorial thing where every, is like an orchestra, every instrument has to play. Normally, uh, this biosecurity goes several different ways. And uh, anybody, any of your customers in the poultry industry would probably have a written biosecurity program where every activity is described in detail. You have a rodent control that has a checking uh, program attached to it. You have a breeder control, a hatchery, etc. Um, the way the way again this works is is all together is a holistic, comprehensive program. The difference, if, if we try to pinpoint like one factor that is going to move the needle, that that doesn't exist. There's no magic bullet for this. What this slide is showing is uh, the decrease, this curve here is the incidence of salmonella enteritis in the UK. And this decrease is after the implementation of a comprehensive program. I don't know if any of you is familiar with the LION program, but this is when it started. And it, it is a comprehensive program that involve a number of different things, including biosecurity, vaccination, and a number of other aspects, testing, a very important piece of it. So again, no magic bullet. This is just to show you need a holistic program to be able to cope with it. This is an ideal picture. This is, a, this is the ideal way a program should go. This is your journey from the feed to the processed chicken. And every, every link of this chain has its own salmonella control program. Every link has a, a system where salmonella is tested for and is monitored constantly. What happens with this, and this is this will be probably your whole toolkit that the, the, the tools that you have to deploy a salmonella control program. And again, they have to work together. There's certain things here. Of course, regulations will be the drum that all most of these activities march to, because a lot of countries and a lot of regions are obligated by regulation to have a salmonella program. Then, uh, as you go down in the, in the feed producing chain, then each of these aspects has a control. In the US, for example, the chilling of the chicken is with water. So there, there's a lot of use of products like uh, parasitic uh, acid that is used at processing. It's not allowed in Europe. In Europe, the, the interventions are a different way. There has to be a rodent control program. In the, at the breeder stage, and this is important, I spent more than 25 years of my professional career chasing salmonellas to make vaccines. The vaccine, vaccination is very important, but 
where vaccination is taking you is to mitigate the transmission from the hen to the chicken. Now, you can do that successfully, but if down the road the chicken gets contaminated with salmonella, which normally occurs in feed, uh, it can occur by rodents, it can occur like several different ways, then you wasted your, basically your time spent in the making of vaccine. Uh, treatments, therapeutics are still used in, in many parts of the world. The pelleting of the feed, the pelleting of the feed is another important thing because the minute you pellet, uh, if you use the right temperature at the right time, you probably killed most everything that is in it. But then you ended up with clean feed at the feed mill, and that feed still has to make it all the way to the farm. So you need to do something that will protect uh, that feed in all the journey. Again, this goes together with good testing. Uh, this goes together with post-harvesting interventions, the, the constant instructions to the public that usually they're not followed enough on how you have to handle uh, poultry-derived products. When, when we think about uh, what, uh, what the cost of these programs is and who has to bear it, uh, it's, it's interesting to, to see who really bears this cost. Uh, what point of the chain this needs to happen? or what point of change this needs to be improved, because there's a lot of things that are being done as we speak. And what is that you're going to do to improve what you're doing, or to do other things on top of what's <coughs> been done? So if, you, if, we, if we think of uh, this is, that this is your toolkit, and these are most of the interventions that are in hand, then where is that you can where is that you're gonna focus your efforts? Where is where is that the way it needs to be put that is not currently done? And where does the cost of this will lie? Because you have you have several different steps and uh, several different systems that happen all at the same time at the feed mill, in the breeders, in the hatchery, in the processing plant. It, it's all kind of closed systems that are tested constantly. So here, I'm going to ask for your help. And uh, I would like to, I would like to pass it to Matt to see what do you think what, like in your mind, because you're familiar with salmonella controls every day in your life, in the hatchery, in the feed mill, in the breeders, uh, with customers, uh, with raw materials, with uh, other feed ingredients, what is done, uh, or what needs to have more weight on what has been done, or what other things that are not happening now would have to happen? I hope everybody can, can hear me. As Enrique just said, oh, now, I, now I am important. <laughs> the question is, do I know how to use it? You stick it up to your mouth. 
<laughs> As Enrique mentioned, obviously, it's a multifactorial program for salmonella control globally, regionally, etc. What I wanted to try and achieve out of this workshop is make it as interactive as possible. And each state in the supply chain, everyone has a different view of what focus they should be on, where is most efficacious for them, and who should be bearing that cost. So if we can open it up to people on the floor as to start the discussion around where your perceptions around most efficacious salmonella control exist, who should be bearing the cost? And if we don't get a volunteer, I'm going to pick on somebody. Get, get my own back. Let's go with George. George is recording me. George, you can start first then. So in your view as a vet, within a salmonella control chain, starting at the start of primary breeders and end up at Tesco shelf, where in your opinion does the majority of the cost lie, most of the efficaciousness, and the focus within industry lie? Thank you, Matt. Yeah, I think uh, this question can have different answers, but you know, my personal view is that um, um, attention needs to be paid to the feed for sure. I think it all starts there, and then um, when you look at the animal, um, you know, the part about breeders, there's uh, there's work to be done there, and uh, and I would say depending on the companies and the different conditions. Uh, uh, also around broilers, and uh, as you said, vaccination plays a key role there. Um, at the end of the day, um, all the intervention program needs to make sense, and you need a really uh, a holistic approach to make it work. That's my, my view. 